0: God turns you from one feeling to another and teaches by means of opposites so that you will have two wings to fly, not one. That's a quote by Rumi, the 13th century Persian poet and Islamic scholar born in what is present day Afghanistan. There is, however, great debate about which country can lay claim to him, his birth country, Afghanistan, Turkey, or Iran. Either way, he is my favorite poet. Welcome back to Organic. My name is Jamila Abdullai. Hello, and welcome back to Organic, your podcast for real conversations and perspectives on and from Africa and Africans. We're kicking off our interview series with a segment on Ramadan. As some of you may know, it is the holy month of Ramadan, the ninth month in the Islamic calendar. And this means that Muslims around the world are not eating or drinking during the daylight hours, that is, from dawn till sunset. How is COVID-19 affecting what has been an annual tradition for centuries? How are Muslims, who usually observe the fast in community, adjusting to the current situation? Today, I'll be speaking with Ahmed Futa, who is a Ghanaian medical doctor currently in the Gambia. He has also observed Ramadan in various countries around the world. We'll be talking about what Ramadan means to him and his impressions on the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. I hope you stay tuned and that you enjoy this episode. Hello, Ahmed. Hi, Jamila. Hi, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, thank you. How are you?
2: Doing okay. Um, It's raining here in Accra, and of course, just as we're about to begin, it started raining again, so.
0: (laughs) That's nice. At least the weather is not
1: too hot.
2: Yes, we thank God it's not too hot, because that would be another wahala. Uh
1: Uh-huh, yeah, so that's good for Ramadan.
2: Yep. Yeah. So um, you're in Gambia right now, is that correct? Yes, I am. And how how is uh, Ramadan going in in? Are you in Banjul?
1: Yes, I'm in Banjul.
2: Okay, so how's how's Ramadan going so far? Day three. Uh,
1: it's it's been a rather quiet Ramadan. <laughs> yeah, it's been very very quiet because. Um, you know, because this is a majority Muslim Muslim community, um, usually in Ramadan, the mosques, you hear, you know, calls to prayer all the time, you know, but this year has just been very quiet.
2: I can imagine. I mean, um, what's the, the COVID situation the COVID there? Is there a lockdown? Is there a lockdown?
1: Um, well, there isn't like an official lockdown, but like only essential people are encouraged to go to work. So for instance, where I'm working, we have, we've categorized ourselves into essential and non-essential staff. And we've kind of scaled down our activities, so very, very, the bare minimum people go to work. And even with that, we try to reduce the amount of times we have to go to work. So there are some consultations we sometimes try to do over the phone, and we go to work only when it's essential.
2: Wow, that sounds that sounds like a lot. But before we jump a gun here, because I feel like this is what's happening with all of my conversations is like we start talking and immediately start talking about COVID. Um, let's take a step back for a second and then tell okay. us about right. you a bit about yourself. Um, what's your life and your lifestyle like uh, as an African Muslim professional?
1: Okay. So um, that's actually an interesting question, especially when, when you're in Africa, you don't see yourself as an African.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> because, I mean,
1: that's, yeah, but I mean, I guess just like, oh, let me just say, I was raised a Muslim and lived in Africa all my life. So I, I guess I've lived with the African values and also Islamic values that I've been raised with. Basically, Basically, that's it. So about myself, um, I'm a medical doctor. I'm Ghanaian, and I'm currently living in the Gambia. Uh, I'm in Gambia because I'm working with a, um, a medical research institution called the Medical Research Council Unit at London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Um, it's one of the premier medical institutions in Africa. And a lot of the research that has been done in that institution has, has, has gone into shaping a lot of Um, public health reforms within the continent.
2: Nice, that sounds like uh, you guys are right in the heart of everything going on with this global crisis.
1: Exactly, we are, we are. So actually within my unit, there are a couple of projects that have come up about COVID that they're working on.
2: Okay, and you've also done some work in Ghana as well, right?
1: Yes, yes, I worked in Ghana, yes. After medical so, school, I was in Ghana for a couple of years. I did my housemanship in Ghana. I did some some years working as a medical officer in Ghana as well.
2: That's good to know. And so, like, how uh, if you were to compare, to compare uh, when it comes to like the health system, for example, like what what are you seeing between the Gambia and between Ghana and anywhere else you might
0: have um, experience uh, with?
1: Um. Well, first of all, I'll just say Ghana is actually quite advanced (laughs) when you compare it to other African countries. So compared to the Gambia, Ghana is way up. Ghana is very, very much advanced in terms of the medical system. Um, Gambia is, is still getting there. It's a very small country. In terms of resources, it's not as endowed as Ghana is. So I think it will take some time for Gambia to get to the level where Ghana is. Compared to other places I've, I've, I've lived, I think Ghana is doing well compared to other European countries. Ghana is doing well. Uh, we still have a lot to improve on. But at this point, I'd say we, we, are, we are doing well in Ghana.
2: I totally agree with you. I think um, it's been quite refreshing to to actually see something happening. You know, like to actually you know, see like, that actually see, uh, we can make decisive actions. We can actually exactly. communicate. It's it's been a revelation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. And with all this COVID thing, you can see that Ghana is actually taking the lead in Africa. You know, in terms yeah. of. Uh, tests policies and everything we're just doing it which is which is impressive my my nigerian colleagues are always just always just commending ghana they're like ah ghana you guys are just too much
2: (laughs) Uh, some of my nigerian friends say the same thing and i'm always like teasing them that don't have your eye on ghana you people just leave us alone (laughs) yeah Okay, so tell me what's like an average day looking like for you or what in general has it been like during Ramadan for you as a medical doctor as well?
1: Okay, so an average day during Ramadan, um, pre-COVID <laughs> or, or during COVID. Let's,
2: let's do pre-COVID. I have a COVID-specific COVID question for you, so let's do pre-COVID.
1: <laughs> So pre-COVID, an average day was, I mean, you wake up in the morning, have suhoor, and then you pray for Jair, and then you you had to work. And the good thing about Ramadan and working is when you're working, you're kind of distracted. So you don't pay attention to the low energy levels. So time kind of moves fast whilst you're, you know, in the thick of things in the hospital. And then you come back home. You know, rest a little, spend some time with the kids, and it's time to break fast. We break fast and then go to the mosque for taraweeh, then come back home, relax, and then the cycle continues.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And like, what time do you normally wake up?
1: Um, I I usually wake up around four, four in the morning. Yeah.
2: Okay, okay. And you go to bed by when?
1: uh <laughs> around most likely usually around 11 12.
2: okay so by 12 o'clock so I'm, I'm asking because well let me just clarify one or two terms for um those of us who do not necessarily know the islamic terms suhoor is the pre-dawn meal that uh, muslims have before they begin the fast for the day iftar is the evening meal that we use to break yeah. the fast and then Tarawee is the congregational prayers and it's really a big part of Ramadan I would even say that's one of the main things that people know that when Ramadan yeah yeah. they're going to go to the mosque every evening and then spend a good amount of time praying Um, and so now with COVID that element is definitely off the table Um, and even with iftar You can't do it with other people. So with let me share exactly. the reason why I'm asking about the, um, what's it called? About the timings is because when I was living in Senegal, right? Yes. The, we would um, start fast, I think around the same time, around four 4 a.m. But then mm-hmm. the time we would go to bed so i visited a friend once it and is, had a sleepover yeah. at a friend's place we broke fast yeah. around 6 630, 6 30 and yes. we had an initial meal to break fast right yes at my parents house and when i was growing up we only had two evening meals one was to break mm-hmm. fast and the second one was dinner and then after that, <laughs> yeah. you're until the next day yeah. um, when you're taking the pre
1: yes. meal. So uh-huh. that's what I was expecting. <laughs> and yeah. I had this well, the thing my, is, my life. Generally, uh uh-huh. <laughs>
2: So tell me, <laughs> yeah. I, I think you have a sense of what I'm saying, but tell me, what's the I, I get case? what
1: you're saying. It's like, <laughs> it's like when, when, when I first came here, and I think it was Ramadan, and I was kind of, um, describing my typical Ramadan, you know, with, with a Nigerian friend. And he was like, no, here, yeah, that's not how Ramadan is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like you said, it's a big deal here. You know, they cook a lot and they will usually break the fast, have the smaller meal to break the fast. Literally, you know, you have a full course, you know, dinner through through the night, Yep. You have a small <laughs> to break the first, later there's another meal, then later in the night there's another meal. Actually, I was, I was chatting with someone who told me even at dawn, you know, cooking is a big deal at dawn. So a lot of people actually even cook, you know, wow. for the dawn meal. Yeah.
2: Wow. I mean, at my parents' house, when I was a kid and I was at my parents' house, it was a bit different from when I like left to go to school. And then yes. it's like you're doing yeah. it alone. And so when you're doing it alone, it's totally different. Good. Right? <laughs> Cup of tea. Even, yeah. if, even if you are lucky, you would just drink water and call it a day.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think that's, that is what I, I do. It's become a habit. So I, I actually can't eat at that time of the day most of the time, just a cup of tea, and I'm good to go. I, I, I find my tip for Ramadan is actually not even having suhoor, but it's just, you know, it's 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 a sunnah, which is the culture of the perfect, to eat something at dawn. But I find it easier when I'd actually just drink water.
2: Yep. Yeah, same here. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, I think one of the the, the way I kind of rationalize it and and i'm okay with not having too much is uh the there's a a requirement not a requirement a recommendation that you should break your fast and start your fast with dates so dates are actually these um really small fruits um they're really sweet for those who don't know what it is um they they tend to be grown in the middle east and they're very nutritious and it's like it packs so much energy it's crazy to think that something so small has a lot of energy but typically what i exactly. would do when yeah. i was um a student or or working in in another country where i was probably the the only muslim in my in my apartment um fasting is i would just have a plate of i uh, have a plate with um, a bottle of water and then two dates and then I time, put on my alarm to like a few minutes to when it's time to get up and pray. When I get up, I have my water, have my digs, say my prayer and go back to bed. And we call it a day.
1: Yeah.
2: But Charlie, yes. in other places, they are having a feast. And yeah, they, that was a revelation for me, honestly, when I saw that in, in yeah. Dakar. It was, it was quite, quite yeah, interesting.
1: So I think in this in this area, it's in Senegambia, it's, that's the culture you know Ramadan it's a feast and you know it's gotten to a point where I think it it even becomes like competition you know because you know they have a lot of compound houses Mm -hmm. and where people in the compound houses take turns to cook
0: yeah yeah
1: Yeah, so usually it's everybody tries to outdo the next person
2: (laughs) Charlie please that kind of pressure honestly I can't do it It's, yeah. It sounds like a lot. It sounds like a lot. But the thing I always... Yeah, but I, th- I think
1: it just... Mm-hmm.
2: No, go ahead.
1: I was just saying, it just goes to show it's a special period. So everybody just puts in the effort to make, make it extra special for their family.
2: Yes, definitely. I think one thing I did appreciate, though, was the fact that um, they're very welcoming. So yes. a lot of the time, I would have Iftar at, at someone's house. I would break my fast exactly. with someone. And it's very, very hospitable. And of course, I love Senegalese food, amazing food. So it's wins yes. on so many levels. But I think yes. the, the, the shock was with regards to how your body has to adjust because you're eating so much in such a short, in like the space of, let's say, five hours, they literally have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then they go yeah. to bed. For maybe three hours, because of the the timing at the uh, at, at the time that I was there, they were wait, we were waking up around three thirty to to start the process of fasting. So if you went to bed by twelve, you're up around three. Like. I didn't understand how that worked, but that was my, my, shock, <laughs> my culture shock yeah. <laughs> when it came
1: to... I mean, that's the culture. That's what people look forward to.
2: <laughs> wow. It's amazing, though. Like, it was fun while it lasted, but I, I don't think I could yes. do it always. So um, let's yeah. talk a bit about the adjustment period. We're on day three, in day three of Ramadan mm-hmm. now. And I don't yes. know about you, but how is it typically for you to adjust from your normal routine to the ramadan routine is there any change for you
1: well in terms of um okay so you know usually first few days of ramadan energy levels really hit you you Mm -hmm. know so luckily luckily in this covid era you know i'm actually not moving around a lot so these first few days of ramadan i've actually been at home so it's been easy to just adjust into it that's great (laughs)
2: And then pre-COVID, I I hate that we have to make post and pre and during COVID references, but pre-COVID. Yeah,
1: pre-COVID, it hits you really hard the first day. You probably have the worst headache of your life the first day. And then after a couple of days, you kind of adjust into it.
2: Yeah, definitely. One thing I've struggled with, um, or not struggled in general, but yesterday was a bit hard for me because... I've not really been sleeping. I think because of the COVID stuff, like it messed with my sleep schedule. And so after, after oh. Suhor, I didn't go back to bed and I was up till like three and I was like, literally okay. like I, my system was on overload and I couldn't sleep and I was just getting so frustrated, but Alhamdulillah, eventually I got a couple of hours oh. in. So Yeah that that's
1: definitely yeah um, that yeah. helps yeah but the good thing is after the first two days your body adjusts and then you know it just becomes a routine that's true <laughs> the only other issue is you having to put in the work to you know make the ramadan a bit more meaningful like trying to read the quran and you know listening to sermons and
2: other so stuff. like what are your your goals
1: for this ramadan oh uh, my goals for the ramadan well um as much as possible as to try and read as much of the quran i always say i'll try and finish it but i've never (laughs) i've never been been able to finish it i mean with work and everything but i mean to try and do as much as possible yeah and as, as, as always to also just reflect on my relationship with allah and how to improve upon my iman like ramadan is always is always special like like i always see because during the year, you go through all, all sorts of fluctuations of Iman and Ramadan is just a period where you refresh and restart and then, you know, just build everything all all, all over again. Those are the things I'm working on. Basically, just improving my, my, my relationship with God and improving upon my Iman.
2: So for, for those who don't understand, Iman is faith. Um and I think one of the things I really appreciate about Ramadan, people don't understand why I get so excited about Ramadan every year, but it literally feels like peace on earth. Like I don't know what, like yeah, how it's it happens, peaceful. It's, but it's almost like it's we've very, been put into period. a shield. It's not to say things aren't yeah. still happening, things are happening, but it's almost like you've been put into a yes. shield and it it, it doesn't touch you the same way. And that is always like Ramadan yeah. always comes at the right time for me. Either I'm going through some personal crisis or something like this mm-hmm. global crisis is happening. And it, it just like <laughs> gives you a break from all of that to just like focus a bit more internally. So I, I agree with you. That's definitely one of yeah. the great things about yeah. it. So can you share, two things that you and your family do to prepare for Ramadan?
1: Um, two things we do to sh- prepare for Ramadan. Um, okay. Um, for, um, for, let's say for now, <clears throat> we're, we're trying to pray a lot together, especially because um, we can't go to the mosque and all of that. So we, that's one thing we're trying to do. So we try to pray Tarawih together. We try to do the whole Tarawih and everything together yeah. as a family, which, which has actually been quite nice. Yeah. And the other thing is um, basically, like I said, trying to get into the routine of reading the Quran. So sometimes it helps when you start a little before Ramadan. Mm-hmm. So by Ramadan, you're kind of, you know, ease your way through it a little. Yes. Yeah.
2: yes yeah that makes sense so what is the significance of ramadan to you if you were to capture it uh, describe ramadan in
0: like one word
1: i feel like ramadan is is a gift from 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 god i mean in in such a way that it's a period that when when you try to to do it well you gain so much from it you know first of all it's 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 a pillar of Islam, so it's more or less an order from, from Allah. So if you are able to fast successfully, you know, you've obeyed Allah, mm-hmm. which is important. Secondly, it's a period where you try to be close to Allah, so you try to do a lot of acts of ibadah. You try to pray a lot. You try to give a lot of um, charity. You try to, as much as possible to read the Quran and understand the meaning of it. Also, very importantly, it's a period where you you have to try and be very very patient. You know, having low energy levels can 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 make you the most impatient person. Like I was telling you, like the Gambia is majority Muslim in Ramadan, you have a lot of road rage because people are <laughs> hungry. And, so having that patience, I mean, it's and the patience, you know, it cuts across, you know, essentially your whole um, your whole um, Essentially, it cuts across all walks of life, because like I said, from the streets to being at home, to having the patience to even endure the hunger you're feeling, yep. you know, so it's it's really a very, it's it's a beautiful period, and I look forward to it every year, like you said.
2: Like, have you ever had a really hard Ramadan?
1: <laughs> um... Yes, definitely. I mean, I won't say really hard because like most of the time, like I said, the first mm-hmm. few days are very difficult. But I mean, Ramadan in Europe was quite hard because it had its own challenges. It was really long. I I did my med school in Ukraine, so I spent six years there and six Ramadans there, and most of them mm-hmm. were in the summer. So you can imagine having to fast from about 2 AM to about 10 PM. <laughs> you still study and pass your exams so it's really not an excuse (laughs) if anything i think you're more efficient because you try to use the little energy level you have very well
2: that is definitely true like what was it like being an african student in ukraine like Uh,
1: that was that was that was quite crazy it was well i mean i had i had my mind on the goal i knew what i was there for so i i mean i tried to endure a lot of the things but i mean it was it was quite difficult Uh, the the weather was very unfriendly it was extremely cold you're far away from your family and then there were some very hostile elements in the community very very hostile people (laughs) yeah and you know i don't know if it's hooliganism or racism but then yeah there was very very hostile people who sometimes attacked mm-hmm. african students and like just basically you were always watching your back yeah and that was not a very comfortable yeah i think to be
2: when at. it comes to um, the question of of studying abroad a lot of a lot of us don't actually know what we're signing up for until we get there and unfortunately we also don't yeah share those elements with the people back home so you have people who like we all have this glamorized Uh, view of what it's going to be like to study abroad until you get there (laughs) and then it's something else
1: yes and the thing is once you're there it's like man you just have to finish what you came here for you know so i mean telling people about what is going on is just number one making them worried and number two you feel like ah you know, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, that was tough. There were some tough times, but I mean, there were also some nice times as students. We had a nice African community, which was, which was good. The Ghanis, uh Nigerians, Kenyans. I mean, it was a really nice African community. And on the Muslim, I mean, it was quite interesting over there because it was like, I had a two side. I had to deal with my African side and then my Muslim side, which were mostly Arabs. So I, to hang out with two sets of people
2: definitely one of the things that and i think i um, really like about islam um is is just how global it is generally speaking whenever <laughs> you go into the mosque it's always a very heartwarming moment when you realize that we all we're all exactly in the same yes. way where we all know what we're supposed to do and we haven't like spoken to yeah. each other about do it but also to notice the little quirks like people do mm-hmm. things slightly different based off of where they are that's always exactly. been um, yeah. an interesting yeah. one the worst experience mm-hmm. was actually when i was living mm-hmm. in tunisia and uh, because i was used to going to the mosque uh here on fridays so i i really wanted to be able to go for uh Jummah mm-hmm. friday prayers at the mosque and i decided to go um, the mosque wasn't too far from my off office where i was working and so i decided to go to the mosque number 1 when you're in tunis you don't really see you don't really see too many women like sitting in coffee shops because drinking tea seems to be a man's thing so here oh. i am as as a young black a woman um, trying to find the mosque so i had to go to like a coffee shop oh where is where's the mosque um can you give me directions and all these men are looking at me like I'm crazy <laughs> like I walked into their bedroom and what the heck am I doing yeah. here? and then I end up getting to the mosque oh. and um, of course uh so, so for those who don't know the way the, the mosques are structured you have a section for women and then you have a section for men so I went to the women's section and typically when you when you Learn to pray, like people make space for you, it's no big deal, everyone knows that's what should happen. Uh, but I just felt so much hostility, it's like people around me didn't want to be close, to and oh. I never went, I never, I would always just pray, yeah, i never, yeah. I never went back, went back, um, yeah. And so, even though we have this element of yes, we are all one big community, it's unfortunate, but in some contexts, there's still those things where.
1: Yeah, especially in the Arab communities. Cause I remember my experience in Ukraine. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, they were the interesting thing is there were some Sudanese who were kind of dark colored, but I was seen as the African Muslim. <laughs> the Black Muslim you know, they were all they considered yeah. themselves Arabs. You know. But then I mean the good thing is, I mean, I, in, in my case, they were all very welcoming. It was more very fascinating for them because i was like the only african guy who would come into the mosque and you know they found it interesting i remember there was even a point where um, at the time i was living in the hostel where one of the guys at the mosque was telling me was asking me why i'm living with i was like my roommate was also Ghanaian. i was like why am i staying with this guy who is who is muslim i should move in with one of the muslim guys and i told him nah you know you're my brother and he's also my brother so i mean
2: I don't know, but I feel like when it comes to this question of religion, a lot of the time we've kind of been conditioned to look at the differences. And I don't know, but I've always been someone who will probably seek out the similarities first of all. Um, I I do not mind drawing inspiration from Christianity. I do not mind drawing inspiration from some of the Eastern religions because I feel like at the end of the day, it's also a question of communication and language. And at the end of the day, we all have one Mm -hmm. God or the same source. That's what I believe. But I've had a lot of different conversations with people Mm -hmm. over the years and it always is always a mind-boggling thing to realize that people some people might consider it to be less done in a certain way. Um, and I mean here in Ghana there have been moments where some of that has creeped up in conversation. last year and in 2018, there were all of these reports about um, Muslim women and nurses especially I don't know hijab. why being able to that take off their hijab and 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 just like a lot of people, basically trying to say, you know, you are in a, a Christian country, you know, and it's like
1: yeah, you country. might be in yeah, a
2: majority Christian country, but but let's be real. At the end of the, the day you are all Ghanaians and we should all be accorded respect. Like that's just that's just humanity, you know. I don't respect. know. That's my my take on it.
1: I, I don't know when this issue would 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 die down, but I mean it's been there since since we were kids, through to secondary school, you know, in secondary school you were fasting and you were you were supposed to be in the dining hall because it's a school function, which I thought was very unfair, you know. I mean, so I think that that aspect of intolerance, I don't know when Ghana would work through it, but I mean it's good people are talking, and, you know, people are... We're are, we are, we are having conversations about it. Hopefully in some years, our children will not go through that. But I think it's something that's very peculiar with Ghana. I don't know about other African countries and how the dynamics is. But, yeah, in Ghana, you're made to... It's like, you know, yeah. you're, you're a Muslim, you're yeah. different. And, and-, and sometimes it's aggressively in your face that, you know... You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't do this. You should do this.
2: And I do think we're making some headway. And um, that's also partly why I really wanted to do this Ramadan series. Because I've actually been doing this like Ramadan series, reflection series, every, pretty much every Ramadan since, I think, 2008. But I've typically just done it writing articles. Yes. Um, and one of the reasons why I do that is because at the end of the day, I think a big reason why we have a level of intolerance is, is because it's almost like our communities are a bit closed off, right? Like, let's be real. If you're going to a mosque, <laughs> certain things you need to do to go to a mosque. There's a certain way you need to dress, all of these things. And so it's not as accessible. And I think that partly is why there's like there's a bit of misunderstanding about what islam is about or what yeah and, muslims and are about but guess, it, in yeah. that same vein excuse for people to to discriminate you know i think the first yeah. time that i felt some way <laughs> about being a muslim and it was very early on it was we were in class and the teacher would always say stop making it like you're in a macron's right or, or quranic school it was I like know. you're probably one of a handful of muslims in the class if even um yeah it, it feels really horrible. bad I know. and at the end of the day the basic thing and is you, see that... you this teacher you don't understand the language that is used in that school and so to you it might be noise but it's not noise exactly really set the tone for pitting kids against each other based off of religion, you know.
1: Yes, yes. But I agree with you here. A lot of people are very understanding when it comes to issues of other people's faith. I mean, like in secondary school, when I'm, uh, my my friends got so used to the idea of me praying around, that when it was time for me to pray, people would actually remind me that it's time for me to pray. You know, so, like. Things like that. I think it's just a few people that (laughs) are very stubborn. (laughs) No matter what you talk, they won't listen to you. But like you said, yeah, we still need to maintain conversation and keep talking.
2: Yeah. We're going to get ready to wrap up soon because I know you probably have things to do. But what are three things that you would like people to know about Islam, Muslims, or just interfaith dialogue.
1: Well, I think Islam is Islam is a very Islam is a very peaceful religion. Number one, and also Islam encourages all Muslims to respect um, other religions. In Surah Al-Kafirun, it's there. So I think from the Muslim perspective you know, we are encouraged to respect and tolerate people of other religions. The Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu had very good relations with Christians and Jews in his times, and he's our number one role model. So I feel like we, it's, it's our duty, you know, to respect other people around us. Um, also, with respect to, um, I also think it's also a responsibility for us Muslims to also portray Islam in the way that it should be portrayed and, 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 and you know not to let the people portraying it negatively outshine us who will portray it positively because what people see is how they will judge us you know so if people see um, people behaving negatively and calling themselves Muslims then they will generalize everything and say Muslims are this but if all of us try to behave well and you know treat other people with respect then that is what muslims will be known as yeah
2: i agree wholeheartedly on on both counts uh so to to wrap up i have two questions so you can pick whichever one you want because i can't i can't really decide right now so one either share with us um something inspirational from you know something inspirational that you turn to when you are in times of challenge so i know a lot of us are struggling right now through this whole COVID thing so like what is helping you get through that or share two resources on islam and ramadan for anybody who um is probably at home or maybe in ukraine away from your family and needs to feel a little connected during this time
1: well um okay so maybe let me take the first okay. one let me see if I can touch on both. So with regards to this whole COVID and all of that, it's it's scary. I know it's really scary. And we see news of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people dying um, all over the world. Um, but I think it's it's just important. I mean, if you look at the numbers, as much as a lot of people are dying, the death rate is still not as high as, you know, other illnesses around. So I think it's important to just adhere to the preventative measures. Let's, let's I know it's, the news is all over. So it's easy to say, it's, it's, not, it's not easy to avoid it, but um, let's, let's look at the positive aspect, especially for us here in Africa. The good thing is, um, as I said now, we are not yet experiencing the very devastating effects of COVID. So it's important for us to take the necessary precautions so we don't get to that point.
0: Yeah, yeah. If
1: you know what I mean. And then with regards to the second one, in terms of resources, I think um, in, in these days of um, technology and social media, there are resources all over the place. And um, on YouTube, I, I generally just turn to YouTube because it's just readily accessible. There are lots of sermons from Mufti um, Meng, which I really enjoy listening to. We're,
2: we're, we're lucky that there's, there's a lot of resources online. And I think for a lot of people who... So I've gotten this question a few times on Twitter about how how are we going to cope with Ramadan during COVID? And the truth is there's actually a lot of resources online that people on. And yeah, I agree with you. Those two... Um, scholars are, are good scholars to follow as well um, either on YouTube or other social media platforms all yeah. right so thank you so much Ahmed, for yeah. making yeah. time um, I really appreciate it and
1: thanks Jamila thanks for having right? me
2: right it was nice
1: it was to nice <laughs>
2: Um, so yeah, I hope so. that next time, maybe post-COVID, when, when I decide to have an, invite you back for another conversation, we'll not be talking about COVID, we'll talk about something else.
1: Yes, definitely. We'll put it behind it us. It. Yeah, you're Bye. welcome. You two have a great evening.
0: Ahmed Futa, a Ghanaian medical professional currently based in the Gambia. I'd like to leave you with a thought. You may be struggling right now, but know that in time you can overcome and grow through your experience. We may not always get what we want, but believe that you always have what you need. Take it a day at a time and don't give up. Thank you for listening. I hope this episode gave you a new perspective or at least something to think about. I'd like to hear from you now. Join the conversation and share your perspective using the hashtag OrganicSpeak. You can also leave a voice message right here at anchor.fm forward slash organic. Have someone you'd love to hear on the podcast? Visit circumspect.com forward slash organic to send in a guest suggestion. Don't forget to subscribe to The Organic Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and connect with us on Instagram and Facebook with the handle at Organic Podcast. My name is Jamila Abdullah. Until the next conversation, take care and keep it real.